1: Welcome to Mad Money. Welcome to America. Other people want to make friends, I'm just trying to make you some money. My job is not just to entertain, but to educate and teach you. So call me at 1-800-743-CBC or tweet me at Jim Kramer. After today's late afternoon run, Dow ultimately closing up 200 points, s and surging 0.82%, NASDAQ faulting 0.79%. I got to say, sometimes buyers really like to take their lives into their hands because that's exactly what they were doing if they bought at the high today. What else do you call it when someone buys going into a G20 summit, a controversial one, betting that we're definitely going to get some good news out of President Trump's meeting with Chinese President Xi? I, I think they're being pretty optimistic. Maybe the president makes a deal, in which case the stock market will really roar. The people who bought it at, cl- at the Bell, will pay, it'll pay off for them. But more likely, I think he'll tell us that the U.S. is still set to raise tariffs to 25 percent on half of our imports from China come January, with the other half possibly getting hit at a later date. However you feel about Trump's trade policy, personally, I get where he's coming from, even if I don't always agree with the execution. The market has very definite opinions about this stuff. Here's what they think what market participants typically think. Historically, stocks have not reacted well to tariffs. They're bad for the economy in the short term. So I think betting on stocks ahead of this meeting at up 200 points in the Dow, I think will look the maybe a high-risk move. And I'll give you a more comprehensive cheat sheet later in the show. For now, though, let's just say everything else falls in importance compared to the state dinner tomorrow night between the two presidents, which is why I started with Saturday. Novel for our game plan. Other than that, Mrs. Lincoln, what's our game plan for next week? On Monday, we hear from Coupa Software. That's one of our cloud princes, which sells software that helps businesses handle everything related to procurement. This past week, we saw some really crazy positive moves in the cloud kings. The larger cloud companies with Salesforce, Workday, Splunk, and VMware all reporting, I am telling you, spectacular numbers, great conference calls, being rewarded with sharply higher stock prices. So much for the supposed slowdown in the data center and the cloud. But those good earnings probably would not have mattered, if not for the remarkable about-face we got this week from Fed Chief Jay Powell, who did his homework and realized that he may not need to raise rates so aggressively. Powell now sees that he's got inflation, let's just say, whipped, And that's very good news for growth stocks because it means their huge earnings many years down the road will be worth more in today's dollars. Something becomes safe to buy the cloud names again. That's what happens when you trump inflation. Speaking of the Fed, I sure wish they'd start thinking uh, not just about the raw data interpretation, but also about outfits like Coupa, okay, which save companies a fortune. Why? By cutting back on people the most expensive part of the business, and allowing them to rely on software to handle procurement. That means all these cloud-based enterprise software companies are inherently deflationary. So Pal might want to listen in on Coupa's conference call, which, by the way, I expect to be a good one. Tuesday morning, we get results from Dollar General, AutoZone, and HD Supply. Now, I like each one for different reasons. Last night, we spoke to Dollar Tree, which is finally starting to turn around the ailing family dollar stores it acquired years ago. I wonder if that reflects positively on the whole cohort. You know, it would make some sense here. Think about this. The best-performing portions of retail this week were the bargain basement operations, Ollie's, TJX, Burlington stores. Dollar General fits that bill. I see an upside surprise coming. Of course, you'll have to deal with the Chinese tariff issue. But if Dollar General sources its merchandise as well as Dollar Tree, the trade war won't be as disruptive as you'd think, even if tariffs go up to 25% in January. Orders I like because it's got the monster buyback that shrunk the share count dramatically over the years. So even if the company delivers slightly off numbers, I mean, just a little bit of slippage is usually a great buying opportunity. I'm going to tell you to do that. These days, people are keeping their cars longer and longer, which means they need more maintenance and spare parts. A real boon to all of these kind of auto parts companies. As for HD supply, I like to listen to them to get the tone of small business, since this big-time industrial distributor interacts with a half a million of them. It's all part of the pastiche that I like to put together to take the temperature of the economy in real time. At the close Tuesday, we hear from Toll Brothers. We've had them on a number of times. This high quality home builder might tell a tale of both strength and weakness. Remember, I'm not saying the economy overall is weak. I'm saying it's weaker than it's been. And one of the reasons is the slowing housing market. I bet Toll confirms my view, particularly on the coasts. We had RH the other day, the old rest- restoration hardware, on. Uh, and I thought they wove a good story. But this market has soured on anything with a higher price point. Think Ralph Lauren, Michael Kors, and Tiffany. RH's stock is still up 35% for the year, but you know it's now down nearly 50 points from its highs? The company does have some Chinese exposure higher than most. We need to know what management's doing about it. That said, a couple weeks ago, I took my daughter to lunch at RH's new gallery in the meatpacking district with the one we recently visited with the show. And I got to tell you, Spectacular. Two of my favorite retailers report on Wednesday, Lululemon and Five Below. Lately, these two have pulled back dramatically like so many other retailers. Lululemon's stock has fallen in sync with, I think, the rebellion against high-priced apparel. It's not cheap. Five Below's been hurt by worries about China. I think both sell-offs are overblown at this point. However, I'm mindful of how hard it is to own retailers right now that people think that the economy is shifting to a lower gear you typically sell the retailers. The other day, I talked about companies that are reinventing themselves, and that's certainly the case with Kroger, the nation's largest supermarket chain, which reports on Thursday. Unfortunately, the competition has never been more stiff in the grocery business. So uh, while I think certainly that Kroger can spin a good yarn about remodeled stores, that really makes it an okay house in a very bad neighborhood. So I'm going to have to say no thank you. After the close, we hear from Broadcom, ABGO, which I'm looking forward to for a host of reasons. I want to know about its quizzical acquisition. and to so quizzical meaning, uh, I don't know, I'm kind of nervous about it, of a software company called CA, and that works with mainframes, not to mention the exposure to China, 5G, and Apple, although the latter is not to be named on the conference call. Being an Apple supplier is a little like being in Fight Club. The first rule of the Apple Supply Club is you don't talk about the Apple Supply Club. At most, you can make some cryptic reference, say, a major customer. Still, there's a lot to learn from the Broadcom call. We also get results from one of the hottest retailers around, although right now that's not saying very much, is it? I'm talking about Ulta Beauty, and I'm betting they give us a super-de-duper quarter. Ulta's cosmetic business has been roaring, courtesy of the image-obsessed Selfie Generation. Finally on Friday, we're going to see the non-farm labor report. I think it will give us our last strong set of employment numbers, because I think it's tailing off. Uh, Giving the Fed justification, though, with this number, uh, that it, given justification that it needs for one more tightening, December tightening, for it waits to see how its rate hikes have impacted the economy. Now that Powell has chosen prudence over dogma, there's a good chance this once red-hot economy can get the soft landing that it so sorely deserves. The bottom line, though, between Trump's meeting with President Xi over the weekend and the employment number on Friday, there's a whole lot going on next week. Let's just hope it's not too exciting. Mark in Illinois, Mark. Hey, Jim. Hey, Mark, what's up?
0: Hey, so on November 9th, it was made public that the FDA plans to impose a ban on menthol cigarettes. While menthol cigarettes account for approximately 31% of all trade groups revenues, the 16% decrease that the stock took over the last couple of weeks would represent an elimination of the revenues of approximately 50% of the menthol cigarette market. Rather than quitting smoking, I believe a majority of menthol cigarette smokers will switch to a non-mentholated alternative. Do you think that the recent drop was an overreaction to this news and it's now a good time to go long and alter Well, I'll
1: tell you, it has limited upside. It yields 5.8%. It's not that special, and I don't recommend, I mean, just to be clear, I I do have some, I'm not saying I'm not mercantile, but I can't recommend a tobacco stock on the show. I just can't. Life's too short. Uh, Bernie in Pennsylvania, please, Bernie.
0: Oh, yeah, Jim. How oh, yeah. you doing? A I'm A long well. time, long-time watcher. Never miss a show, Jim. And if I'm going to miss one, I tape it. And um, But a first-time caller. And I also never miss Squawk on the street with you and David and Carl. You guys are fabulous in the morning getting us ready for the day. Ah, uh, you're
1: um, terrific. And I guess also you're an Eagles fan, so this is good news.
0: No, I'm a Steeler fan. And uh, I'm over in Western PA, and I uh, can't wait okay, for this. Okay, uh, um, Daryl, Daryl
1: in Pennsylvania, Daryl. 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 No, oh, i got to take this guy's call. Okay, go ahead, go ahead. I'm sorry, I'm just joking around. Oh,
0: okay, I'm sorry, Jim. Hey, a uh, second, just real quick. Can't thank you enough for the country, the way you come out against the Fed and Powell, all their rhetoric, raising rates. You saved the country. I'll tell you. From uh, you know, put (laughs) us in recession. You should be the next Fed chair. But Jim, (laughs) no, no, I will tell you this. uh, I
1: will tell you this. I want to thank you, and we did a lot of work here. And if we did play any role in trying to get the Fed to not choke off the economy for the working person in this country, for Main Street, then thank you.
0: I am proud. You single handedly took the lead. Single handedly, (laughs) and and that was great. But Jim, the reason I called was. uh, as a patriot, I own a lot of defense stocks, small and large. My biggest holdings, Lockheed Martin. As you know, the defense stocks have really struggled last month. I can't figure out why. Maybe hoping you can maybe. Yeah, sure. Because first that. of and all, of also, I agree with you, you.
1: I agree yeah, with you. you and I think Lockheed Martin's a buy. But you know what? I got My Chapel Trust owns Raytheon. It's been miserable. Why? Because the Democrats took back the House, and people feel the Democrats are definitely going to cut back on spending, sir. So that's what's going on. Uh, I think it's, they're overdone, but I've been wrong. And I like to own up when I've been wrong, especially after those nice words about when I've been right. OK, here we go. Daryl in Pennsylvania. Daryl.
0: Mr. Kramer, thank you for your infinite wisdom. I currently have a position in Real Estate Investment Trust Starwood Property, ticker STWD. I know that all REITs are not created equal. They do tend to carry a lot of debt, but provide healthy dividends. With 2000, 2013 19, fast approaching. I'd like to get your thoughts on reinvesting and specifically Starwood property. I think it's
1: a great idea. Uh, We had Barry Stern look on recently. Uh, Stocks up nicely from when he was on. And it's the 8.5% yield I think is safe. I really, really like the story. He is such a good guy and it's really well run. I applaud your choice. All right. You now have next week's game plan. But remember, everything pales in comparison to what's going to happen this very weekend. Okay? On Mad Money Tonight, I'm giving you a game plan to ride out the trump Jinping, G20 tape. Well, that's a nice, that's hard to say. Then, his first trip was making selfies disappear. Now, Snap is sending piles of cash into the ether. What could it mean for investors? I'm going to investigate. And after GM's restructuring announcement, wondering what it means for the overall auto industry, I'm talking to a leader in the used car business to find out what he's seeing in the sector. So stay with...
2: Kramer. Don't miss a second of Mad Money. Follow at Jim Kramer on Twitter. Have a question? Tweet Kramer. Hashtag MadTweets. Send Jim an email to madmoney at cnbc.com. Or give us a call at one 800 743 cnbc Miss something? Head to madmoney.cnbc.com.
1: If you want to figure out how the market will react to the G20 meeting this weekend, or more specifically, the meeting within the meeting, you need to game the gamers. And that's very tough to do. But if you want to game the gamers, you have to presume something will happen. The question is what? Let me lay out some scenarios and the likelihoods. Option one, President Xi comes with a plan because, as President Trump says, he wants a deal. He needs a deal. The Chinese economy is slowing and their stock market has cratered. I think Xi fundamentally misunderstands the situation, though. The weakness in China's economy is very real. And we got some slow data just today. But that's unlikely to bring Xi to the table. From his perspective, a recession is probably less damaging than the perception that his government surrendered to pressure from Washington. That would undermine the very foundation of the Communist Party's rule. So I'm giving this scenario a 10% chance. It probably won't happen. But if it does, it could easily give us a 10% rally. Option two, Trump says he'll delay the planned tariff increase from 10 to 25% that's supposed to happen in January. I think this is also a long shot because he's bringing cold warrior Peter Navarro to the conference. And he'll be sitting at the same table with the two heads of state. I give that a 10% chance, okay? And if we get this delay, it causes a 5% rally in the stock market. Option three, Trump says, sorry, we're going to 25% on $200 billion worth of Chinese imports as soon as the year starts, but we'll wait to impose any new tariffs on the rest, thought to be between $250 billion and $300 billion. I think this is actually the most likely outcome. I'm giving it a 50% chance. Let's hold off the market's reaction for a second. Option four, Trump takes the existing tariffs up to 25%. He stops a 10% tariff on the rest of our Chinese imports, effective immediately. And that will go to 25% in, say, six months. I give it a 25% chance. Hmm. Market goes down roughly 4%. Fifth, the unthinkable nuclear option. A bad Argentine steak dinner. 25% tariffs on everything. Worst outcome for the stock market. Say a 5% chance, and we go down 10% like that. Still, the most probable outcome, by far, is that things pretty much stay the same. The existing tariffs go to 25 percent, and Trump will wait and see about imposing any new ones. So let's get back to gaming the people who are trying to game this event. How are they set up for this outcome? How many investors will think that's, harder to line, that's a harder line than they expected? How many will assume that there will be immediate Chinese retaliation? How many companies that source their merchandise from China are actually ready for this? How many are prepared to switch but haven't done so yet? A lot of variables. Believe me, there are still plenty of money managers who aren't ready for the outcome, I say, that is the odds on favor. There are also plenty of algo players, these are the ones that use machines, who have a model that says sell most stocks if we do get this outcome. And that's an ugly combination, frankly. So if if what I'm expecting comes to pass, then the recession stocks with little exposure to China will roar higher. You should be buying into the weakness by future selling by the pajama trader, so to speak, PepsiCo. Coca-Cola, Procter & Gamble, McDonald's, and Clorox right into the opening sell-off. At the same time, those hedge funds will dump any industrial or tech company that's perceived as having too much reliance on the Chinese market. And here you got to think 3M, Emerson, United Technologies, and sadly, Apple, which has become the ultimate political football given its mastery, mastery nature in both countries. That said, for most investors, this game may not be worth playing. If you're a trader, you might want to scoop up some Apple if it really goes down and gets hit with heavy selling, as I expect, although I still believe that Apple is a stock you should own, not trade. In the end, I just want you to be ready for the most likely outcome here, which means the recessionistas rally on Monday and the industrials get absolutely slammed. Let's go to Ajay in in Virginia. Ajay.
0: Hi, Jim. I have a question about silver. So silver has been down about 15% over the last year. What's your outlook on silver for the next 6 to 12 months? Uh, I'm
1: not a a fan of silver, frankly. I think there's just too much of this stuff, so to speak. And I think there's a lot of other places. Now, remember, I do think that uh, gold is placed in everybody's portfolio. And and it's not been good lately. It was good for a while. Uh, But silver, no. Industrial uses and just not precious enough. Let's go to Luca in Texas, please. Luca.
0: Dr. Kramer, thank you for taking my call. Oh, thank you. Me me and my son watching your show every night. Um, My question is, we had a lot of data breaches lately. We had one this morning. It's Palo Alto Network, the best company for security issues. Okay, this is really important because they reported
1: last night. I thought the conference call was good. I thought Nikesh Aurora did a good job. I think people feel, it, it, and there was many people saying, "Brilliant quarter, congratulations!" Stock opened up eight, then it proceeded to be down four. There are clearly people who are concerned that Nikesh may not be, uh, let's say, as facile as uh, the previous CEO. But I will tell you this: I think he's going to get to get to all the different analysts and the big holders, and you're going to buy the stock, even though it was hit today. A huge swing of 12 points, and I didn't like it. All right. Uh, it's game on this weekend. Here we go, but everybody. I want you to queue up the recessionistas and get ready. Remember, McDonald's is the stock that does best in the scenario. Much more mad money ahead. Snap! Can't seem to snap back. Tend to mind the company's incredible vanishing pile of cash. Then, could the strictly used car business be good news for a company like Car Auction Services? I'm sitting down with the CEO of this under-the-radar player. And the good news is the dog get your homework i did it for you and i think i can make some money so stay with creamer You know, it hasn't really bounced back here. Well, is a good sound effect for this piece. Ugh. Snap, the parent of Snapchat. This thing has been the ultimate...
3: The house of pain. Spiking
1: up to $29 a day after it came public in March of last year. I'm glad I told you to stay away from it up there. And then plunging to $6 and change as of today. Snapchat was supposed to be the next big thing in social media. Then Facebook copied their best features with Instagram. The company desperately tried to entice New users with a new interface that didn't go over very well. And now you got regulators looking into all these social media players uh, for some pretty unsavory practices. Throw in the fact that Snap has reported a series of not very good quarters, including some truly hideous numbers back in May that crushed the life out of the stock. And you can understand why Snap's been a real... But that's not what I'm worried about here. No, I'm talking about Snap tonight because I'm worried about its cash generation. As we've watched the company struggle and the stock go into freefall, I've started to wonder if Snap has enough money. When this company came public in March of 2017, there was absolutely no reason to be concerned about Snap's cash balance. The company had no debt. It had unfettered access to private funding markets before the IPO, which is why it had nearly a billion dollars sitting on its balance sheet going into the deal before it got any proceeds from taking itself public. And those proceeds were enormous. They got $2.6 billion. By the time Snap reported his first quarter out of the gate, the company had $3.24 billion in cash and cash equivalents. The idea that less than two years later, people would actually be frightened about the cash situation was unthinkable. But look what's happened here ever since the IPO snaps cash hoard has been slowly dwindling. Let me give you the figures down 13 percent in the second quarter of 2017, down nearly 18 percent in the third quarter, down 11 percent in the fourth quarter, down nearly 11 percent in the first quarter, down almost 14 percent in the second quarter, then down roughly 10 percent in the latest quarter from three point two four billion dollars. Snap's cash balance has now shrunk to $1.4 billion. Now, you might say Snap is still a relatively young company. It needs to invest in its growth. There's no reason for it to sit on all that money. I get that. Fair enough. However, there's a deeper problem here. Look at Snap's cash from operating activities, the cash they get from their core business, excluding some major expenditures. Through three quarters of this year, cash from operating activities was negative $564 million. Snap is a big spender. That's only slightly worse than the first three quarters of last year where they were negative 559 million. But it's substantially worse than the same period of 2016, negative 443 million. In other words, just keeping the lights on at Snapchat is a cost is costing these guys a fortune. That's not good. When you look at the free cash flow, which is just cash from operating activities minus capital expenditures, the picture gets even worse. Through the first three quarters of this year, Snap had negative $664 million in free cash flow, which is worse than the negative $630 million number from the same period in 2017, and much worse than the negative $490 million over the same period in 2016. The thing is, Snap's investing some of this money in its growth, okay, but most of the pain comes from the day-to-day costs of running the darn business. And I find these numbers, frankly, quizzical. For the moment, Snap is fine. Remember, they're sitting on 1400000000 billion. I'm not trying to alarm you. I'm looking at the longer term, okay? And I think you have to think longer term when it comes to stocks. It is easy to imagine how the company could find itself in a dangerous situation if you think that way. Granted, it has no debt. It's not as though they're looking at some kind of existential crisis. However, Snap's core business is a drain on cash, not source of cash. That's the huge problem. This current quarter, Snap is expected to burn another $120 million in free cash flow. Not great, although it would be better than they did in 2017. However, add it all up, the company's annual free cash flow would be down $780 million. If Snap keeps this up, it won't be long before they use up all the cash sitting on their balance sheet. Maybe a couple of years, and then they'll need to start borrowing or selling stock they got to shrink the company radically, which is maybe probably what happens here. Of course, if the stock stays at these very low levels, the secondary offering could end up being devastating for the existing shareholders because it would be so dilutive. And there, if you want to think about something like that, think about General Electric. They should have sold a lot of stock at 12. Of course, they have bad balance sheet. This doesn't. But for all this begs a major question. How the heck is Snap such a money pit? Simple. It's all about the cloud. This time, it's working against them. Snap spends a fortune on cloud hosting payments to the likes of Amazon Web Services and Google Cloud. Without them, there is no Snapchat. And you better believe it's expensive for those hosting fees. Think about the business model. Snap has hundreds of millions of daily active users uploading and downloading tons of video content. Somebody has to pay for that. And since Snapchat is mostly a free service supported by advertising, that's somebody is Snap itself. Look, we've known about these costs from the very beginning. I warned you about them at the time of the IPO. When Snap came public, they told us they were scheduled to pay Google and Amazon a total of $3 billion over the following five years for their cloud hosting services. $2 billion goes to Google Cloud, $1 billion Amazon Web. That translates into $400 million a year for Google, even if they don't use $400 million for the hosting services. Their annual spending with Amazon may nearly triple to $350 million by 2021. Of course, when Snap reported its latest quarter, the company had laid out out a number of stretch goals for next year, like turning a profit, accelerating their full year free cash flow. I assume that means slowing the decline in these numbers. In fact, they're looking to break even next year. But CFO Tim Stone quickly added the caveat that, and I quote, stretch goal, end quote, is not a forecast and it's not guidance. It's something they're trying to achieve, not necessarily something they believe they will achieve. Based on these comments, you might think Snap is turning itself around. There's just one problem. Snap's growth is evaporating before our very eyes. The company's daily active users peaked at 191 million in the first quarter. It's now 186 million. And the company predicts that it will continue to decline sequentially next quarter, too. They got to shrink this company. At the same time, Snap's average revenue per user here in North America, their most uh, mature market, peaked a year ago. Company-wide, it still grew at 37% clip because of Snap's expansion overseas. But this makes me nervous because you have to figure those numbers will slow down as they start to approach the kind of levels we're seeing here in North America. Sure, Snap still has plenty of revenue growth, but it's decelerated dramatically. Up 43% in the latest quarter, a nice number, but down from 72% at the end of last year and 285% when it came public. Maybe spending half a billion dollars a year on cloud hosting made sense with 72% revenue growth, but its growth shrinks. You're looking at a very different business. Plus, you layer on some high-level executive departures, like the chief strategy officer who left in September, Vice President of Marketing, and most recently the Vice President of Content. Hmm, this kind of management exodus does not really inspire confidence in me. How about you? Worst of all, there's nothing that can make Snap change its ways. The company has a three-class share structure where the two co-founders, CEO Evan Spiegel uh, and CTO Robert Murphy, control 80% of Snap's voting rights. The Streets' Eric Johnson just wrote a great piece about this issue this week. Basically, there's no way an activist can come in and shake things up. Heck, Google offered to buy Snap for $30 billion in 2016. It's now an $8.4 billion company. If if the incredibly rich guys running the business don't particularly care about making more money, there's not much the shareholders can do about it. The bottom line of this less-than-sanguine story, do not be tempted by Snap's $6-and-change share price. It's not a bargain. At more than five times next year's sales, you could argue it's actually fairly expensive. And, of course, there are some alarming long-term trends here. Until Snap gives us some reason to believe in a turnaround, it's an ill-advised decision to buy the stock. Richard in Nevada. Richard! Richard!
0: Mr. Kramer, this is Richard from Vegas. It yes! is an honor to speak to you, sir. Thank you. Very quickly, I want to share something with you before I ask you about the stock. Okay. When I was 15, I lost my father by a drunk driver. Oh, I needed a mentor. And my mother loves you, and she told me to grab your book and read it. I've read it and served. Words cannot put. I I would love to meet you one day, but I know you're very busy, man. Tweeter yesterday was a little bit. I'm in tweeter. What do you think? Um, First, uh, thank you for
1: those kind words. And I'm going to tell my wife to listen to the show tonight because it makes me feel really good. And I know she feels that I've been working too hard and I obviously haven't if I've earned your trust. So thank you so much and sorry for your loss. Uh, Twitter, I think, is a buy. I think that it's not as exciting as it used to be. But I think that they're going to turn it around continually. It did have a little bit of a hiccup. But there's not enough social media places to to uh, advertise. So I've been a fan of Twitter when it gets to this $30 level. And that kind of took my breath away. And uh, thank you. Thank you for those kind words on a long Friday. All right. Hashtag no filter here. I want you to stay away from the stock of Snapchat. Much more mad money ahead. Looking for a different way to play the auto industry? I've got one. Under the radar player you may never have heard of that I think it's darn exciting. And even the government has a landlord. Tonight I'll tell you the name and whether it's worth owning when I turn in tonight's homework. And all your calls rapid fire tonight's edition of The Lightning Round. And a look back at the week that was.
2: Monday. Kick off the trading day with Squawk on the Street. Live from Post 9 at the NYSE.
1: Used cars are so good now. Not like the old days. Uh, my daughter's a used car from the old days. Holy cow. I mean, Jesus, I think it's got 8-track.
2: I'm <laughs> say 8-track. All right, I'll see you. It all starts at 9 a.m. Eastern.
1: industry, you know, be worried about it for some time. It may not be in great shape. Witness the layoffs at GM. 15,000 people. But as I've told you before, the used car space is doing very well, even as the used car stocks got slammed along with everything else in the meltdown. So business is good. And there's a lot more to the used car industry than just retailers like CarMax. Take Car Auction Services, and that's with a K, which helps handle wholesale used vehicle auctions, both in person and online. Their platform supports whole car salvage, financing, logistics, pretty much soup to nuts, everything related to the business of buying and selling used vehicles. While car stock has come down 11.5% from its peak over the summer, it's still doing pretty darn well. It's up 13% year-to-date. The company's latest court reported earlier this month, the court was solid! And they've also got a catalyst. Car is spinning off its salvage businesses. IAA, to unlock value, like us sometime over the next few months, pretty far along. So let's take a look about this news story with Jim Hallides, the chairman and CEO of Car Auctions, Services. learn more about the company and its prospects. Mr. Hall. welcome to Mayor Money.
3: Uh, great. Great to be with you, Jim.
1: Well, sir, it's your first time on the show, and I would like you at first just to give me the overview because it's not, as, it's not a one-stop. one, one stop. There are many different elements to it. I want everyone to feel comfortable with car auctions, so tell us what you, how you work.
3: You know, if I take a step back, Jim, and tell you, the best way to think about our company is, think about us as the New York Stock Exchange uh, to buy and sell used and damaged vehicles. Um, As you think about it, we have a number of brick-and-mortar sites where we do physical auctions, and then we have a number of platforms where we do online and digital auctions. Now,
1: it seemed like uh, that—I was kind of shocked. How much is online and digital? How many people buy cars that way?
3: Well, you know, we're in the B2B space, um, and as you think about that, uh, we sell 5.5 million cars on an annual basis, and about half of those vehicles— are sold in some kind of online or digital format.
1: And where do they go if it's business to business? Who is buying all those cars?
3: Well, on the uh, what we call the whole car side, which are the straight cars that you and I drive up and down the road every day, which uh, yeah, those vehicles, uh, they're being sold back to the franchise dealers and being sold to the used car independent dealers and going back to the consumer. Um, and on the salvage side of the business, uh, those cars are being bought uh, by a lot of international buyers who are rebuilders. Uh, there's dismantlers that are dismantling them for parts. And uh, then there's uh, just some of uh, those vehicles that are being crushed for salvage. All right. So give me a sense of the used
1: versus the new car. I have to have a, a car. I have a 12-year-old car. And I don't even think about getting rid of it because it's so well run. They're great cars now. It's not like the old days when I get one every three years. Is that the experience from many people in the country?
3: Well, you know, Jim, you fit right in with the average. As a matter of fact, uh, the average age of a car on the road today in North America is 11 and a half years old.
1: It's so different now. And I regard a used car, I mean, they a lot of them have these really great uh, gizmos that make them much safer than we thought, is my experience of thinking that a used car can be every bit as good as a new car these days nah, not unusual
3: not unusual at all. I think with uh, a lot of the features and a lot of the safety enhancements and the continuous improvement of these cars, uh, the longevity of these cars, uh, I think is just going to continue to increase in many respects.
2: Do
1: you think the used car value, which is so high, has actually hurt the new car business?
3: Well, I think that, uh, you know, people do look at the, um, at the used car as an alternative, especially if uh, new car sales or new car prices continue to rise uh... and then you have these uh... what we call off these cars that are really young cars uh... Been maybe two three years old it is a good alternative
1: well i think that car might be terrific if we do happen to get into serious levels of trade war where there's tariffs on new cars i would think that used cars would become quite a bargain
3: you know i think it you know i think used cars will uh, grow and you know if you think about the impact of uh... tariffs uh, the tariffs won't really have an impact on us because we're a transactional company, but okay. it'll, certainly have an impact. it'll certainly have an impact on our sellers, and it'll certainly have an impact on the ultimate consumer. Um, so I think that used cars uh, could actually re- rise in values if tariffs were to come in place.
1: That's what I think. Now, what did you think about uh, the uh, GM closing the plant? Any impact in your business or just psychologically? What does it say about the car business right now?
3: Well, you know, I think if you take business in general— Um, every business is going through some transformation. We're experiencing uh, experiencing transformation in many of the things that we're doing. Uh, I don't think it's any different at General Motors, and I don't think it's any different for most businesses. Uh, I would say that in regards to your question about General Motors, uh, Mary Barra is a very astute, very well-respected CEO around the world. Uh, I think she's probably made her decisions and lined up uh, uh, those decisions with their strategy based on where they see the market going here over the next course of three to five years.
1: Well, i got to tell you, Jim, you're a delight to have on. And you got a great to- great view of things that we don't usually get on the show. And I think Car Auction Services is a pretty interesting stock to own. So thank you so much to Jim Halleck, Car Auction Services Chairman and CEO. Great to meet you, sir. Thank you.
3: I really appreciate it, Jim. Thank you.
1: Guys, I think it's a pretty interesting story. I mean, it's in the, certainly in the sweet spot of the way the American economy is going. That's car auction services. And I, I have to tell you, I just learned a lot myself. I hope you did, too. Bit money's back here, too. It is time! It's time
0: the lightning. It's time for the lightning. It's the It's the It's the
1: and then the lightning round is over. Are you ready? Ski, That is It's time for the lightning round. I'm going to start with Renato in Florida. Renato.
0: Big Jim, I'm sending you a big, sunny Florida booyah to ya. Love that. Listen, Jim, um, I jumped in. finally jumped into Netflix a few months back, and now I'm taking a bath in it. What's the deal? Should I stick right, it out? I, I, candidly, I'm I'll not a fan of
1: Netflix. I'm not a fan of Netflix because I think that that a lot of it depends on the content. I just don't find the content as compelling as it once was. And I think it's a good story, but not a great story because it's up so much for the year. And that's been a real big determinant about how stocks are doing right now. I'm going to go to Leon in New York. Leon!
2: Booyah, oh, baby!
1: Yahoo! Very speculative. Uh, but I'll endorse it as long as you understand that that thing is literally one of the most speculative stocks out there. What else can I say? Let's go to John in Alabama.
0: John. Professor Kramer, a big booyah from the Roll Tide State. Roll Tide. Yes, sir. Hey, I've been following Yeti since their IPO. And uh, they were looking strong and then they hiccuped during their earnings this week. Is it a buying opportunity? Yeah, or I think so. Beware? I actually
1: like the quarter. I mean, far be it for me to disagree with the market's view. But I like the quarter. I think it's okay. The market liked the PepsiCo's and the Gilead's this week, okay, and the Selgeese. Let's go to Lionel in California. Lionel. Jimbo, let's put some pig 57 and Grey Poupon on this pig known as Kraft Heinz, KHC. Seven times earnings, 4.9% dividend yield, 0.8 peg ratio, 40% net margins, 50% off. It's high. What's not to love? Well, the fact that there's no growth whatsoever, um... But I'll do this for you. I'll say that if you that if you want to hope that they somehow manage to get some growth, then you can buy it. But if I want no growth, I want safety, and I want a bond. How about Elaine in California? Elaine. Hi, Jim. I wanted to ask you about Chico's. No, don't ask about Chico's. That was a horrible quarter, frankly. I mean, that may have been the worst of the mall-based stores. know. Right, well, obviously, obviously, there's Sears and JCPenney, but it was a bad call. I don't think, I don't want you in that, Okay. Let's go to Mikey in New York. Mikey. Kramer, what's going on? Go birds. Go birds.
0: Um, so the, the company that I wanted to ask you about is a Brazilian payment company, StoneCo. I want to know your opinion on how you think they're going to perform in the short term.
1: I don't know StoneCo. I know, geez, I'll tell you, I know PayPal. I know MasterCard. I know Visa. I know, I know uh, Global. Uh, I, 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 I don't know that one. I'll have to come back. Let's go to Dave in California. Dave! Hey, Jim, you got the nicest staff in the world. The best! The best!
0: Jim, got a question for you. This company just bought a Brazilian petrochemical plant for pennies on a the dollar. They're investing
1: $2 billion in a
0: new plant in Houston, their numbers
1: look great. It seems to be 50% undervalued to me. What do you think, Jim?
3: What am I missing? Lionel Bissell.
1: Uh, because people feel that we're going into a big slowdown. You know, when a Kemp company come into a slowdown. But I agree with you. I think it represents good value with a 4% yield, but I do prefer Dow do pie, which my travel trust owns, which you can follow along at Plus.com. And that, ladies and gentlemen, the conclusion of the
3: lightning round.
2: The lightning round is sponsored by TD Ameritrade.
1: Countering the gloom. 3.20 this morning because I heard some other guys were getting up at 3.30. I got to jump on them. Does anybody else blow their nose on TV besides me? You always should have a hanky. So I, I, I like 35 years of a hanky. Long-term work versus short. Bust that. Regina, I'm going in here with a hacksaw. Regina, get me a hacksaw. Hello, Jim. Sometimes I think that, that I, I, I think it's they're kind of like the David Blaine's levitating. It's the David Blaine bull market! The Merger Bot got hit. I think the Merger Bot's dead. (laughs) That is karma. And that's Juju. That's Juju. We have Juju. manage to stump me by calling in about a stock that I either don't know or don't know well enough to give an informed opinion, I always take the time to do the research get back to you. Although sometimes it takes a while to clear the backlog. So let's do some homework. On September 14th, Don in Virginia asked me about Government Properties Income Trust, symbol GOV. I said I'd get back to him. This is an industrial real estate investment trust that mostly owns, you guessed it, properties that it leases to the government. The timing of this one was pretty wild, frankly. We got the call on Friday, and then the next Monday, government properties announced a massive transformational move, the all-stock acquisition of select income REIT. Now, they already own 28% of select income, and they actually sold that chunk back to the public to pay down debt. The whole thing is a very confusing transaction, one that was supposed to eliminate a weird kind of financial codependence, but the market hated it which is why government properties instantly lost 25% of its value in the news, making this one of the most poorly received deals I can recall. If Don was waiting for me to get back to him, I sure hope he kept waiting. This stock was already pretty out of favor with the Wall Street Fashion Show. Nobody likes to own high-yielding stocks like the REITs when interest rates are climbing, like they were for most of the year. And the fundamentals weren't all that great to begin with. Turns out leasing properties to the government isn't a great business, especially under a Republican administration, as the GOP hates most spending that's not related to the military or tax cuts. However, the select income deal transformed the stock from a house of pain into a mansion of pain. A house of pain. Ugh. That said, Morgan Stanley had an underweight rating on the stock for ages. They really disliked the core business. So it caught my attention when they upgraded government properties last month after the stock's hideous bruising. The thing is, even in that upgrade, they cut their price target from 1150 down to 1025. That's really the directional move of what they were thinking. Morgan Stanley just didn't think the stock deserved to be down so dramatically. Me, I'm actually less sanguine. Let me tell you all you need to know about government properties. Right now, the stock gives you an almost 20% yield. As I have told you many, many times, when you see a yield like that, it's a red flag. It's a sign that investors do not believe in the dividend. They expect it to be cut. And stocks don't go higher on dividend cuts. I want you to take a hard pass. Don't buy. Don't buy. Don't buy. Don't buy. Next up on September 20th, Scott in Florida wanted to know about Transenterix. Now, this is a really interesting story. Transenterix. This is TRXC. Write this one down. I told him I need to do some more digging. Transenterix is an incredibly speculative $670 million medical device company with a $3 stock. $3. If it were a little smaller, I wouldn't be able to talk about it on the show. What does Transenterix do? It's part of the minimally invasive surgical robot space that people like so much. It's like a much more smaller version of intuitive sur- surgical. Uh, there's, remember Maze Robotics, too? I mean, it's kind of like that. Their system's already on the market in the U.S. and in Europe. Now, the stock had a huge run earlier this year at its peak in September. It had more than tripled year to date. But since then, TransEnterix has gone into free fall, losing more than half of its value thanks to the market-wide meltdown. The decline is the perfect illustration of why stocks like this are, uh, this are so risky. There was nothing particularly wrong with TransEnterix but like so many high flyers, it flew too close to the sun. And when investors pulled in their horns, the darn thing came plunging back to earth. I'm um, All for speculation, as long as it's done wisely. But you have to know your own risk tolerance before you can even consider owning something like this. Let me put it this way. When the company reported its latest quarter earlier this month, the results were modestly better than expected. What counts as a beat for a business this small? Well, Transeneric sold four of its Senhan systems worldwide Four. If for some reason one of those sales had been canceled or delayed, the company would have had a gigantic shortfall. On the other hand, had they managed to sell five machines, it would have been a spectacular upside. That makes for an insanely volatile stock. When the difference between a good quarter and a bad quarter is a single sale, there's so much that can go wrong. That's why Transhedrix got cut in half during the hideous sell-off, even though healthcare stocks are almost totally immunized against the pains of a slowing economy. It's an ultra-high-risk situation where a lot of people had big gains, so they decided to take profits when they still had them. And that resulted in an avalanche of selling. However, down here at 3 bucks and change, I think TransCenterX is very cheap, and the risk-reward more attractive. The company's recently gotten some major FDA approvals, including clearance last month for new 3-millimeter instruments that will let surgeons operate via much smaller incisions. So small that they barely even leave any scars. But the stock was already melting down when that news came out, and nobody seemed to care at all. Now you're effectively getting these approvals for free. So if you're willing to own a high-risk, speculative Friday play on minimally invasive surgery technology, you do have my blessing to pick up some transenterics but only pleased with your discretionary mad money portfolio, meaning only buy it with money that you can afford to lose. I'm not saying investing should per se necessarily be fun, but this one's the kind of stock we're down here. Let's just say the reward does beat the risk. Stick with
2: Kramer. The earnings are relentless, but Kramer has burned the midnight oil, and he's ready to run the gauntlet All week, Kramer sits down with some of the market's most influential C-suite players. Join Mad Money for must-see interviews you can't afford to miss.
1: It was a giant buy program for much of the day and accelerated into the bell, and it was for classic growth stocks. A lot of what looked like real buying was really about Just several billion dollars that came into the market at the end of the day. So don't be fooled. A lot of those prices are probably not sustainable. I like to say there's always a bull market somewhere. I promise you I'll find it just for you right here on Mad Money. I'm Jim Cramer and I will see you Monday.